Oh, it didn't go all the way. There you go. Britt was back there going, and I don't even see it. It's like that clock up there. I never see that clock. I never did. Well, rather than start all over again, I'm going to tell you this. I'm hoping by the end of the series, which is June the 26th, I will have rhythm. Could be a miracle. Better show up. It could be a miracle. You never, never know. Well, like I said, we're starting a new series called Tribal Living, and it's about family. It's about doing life with family. And, you know, tribal's a really good biblical word. Of course, we have the 12 tribes uh, of Israel, and a tribe, you know, you're related to that tribe, your DNA, your blood, your genes flow throughout the tribe of Benjamin or David or Judah. Um, I guess, you know, clan would have been another word we could have used. Uh, but then, you know, then it would have been clan living, and that sounds like a medical procedure. So I didn't want to go with clan living. I thought tribal would probably be better. And so, so what we're going to do is we're going to look over the next weeks as far as June 26th is and look at what God's Word says about family. And that's really good. You know, there's a story told about a guy who would, you know, he was in the kitchen going through a drawer, and his wife came in, and, and she said, what are you looking for? And she said, the receipt. And she said, what receipt? The ones for the kids, I want to take them back. Okay? Well, there is no receipt for taking your kids back, but thankfully, there's a great manual. And that is the Word of God. I was watching a science program, one of those ones like about the world and stuff. And I, th- I don't think it was on Lake Superior. I was watching that one not too long ago. But they talked about, you know, billions and billions of years ago that the earth was, was a gaseous ball without form. And that rung a bell with me. And I realized that the Bible that was written, you know, thousands, about 4,000 years ago, uh, you know, and of course the world a little bit older than that, but... Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2, it says, it says that the world was without form and void. Isn't it amazing that scientists agrees with the Bible? And how did they know that? Except for God. Except for God. So I just tell you that little tidbit to let you know that the Word of God is something that we can trust in the areas that it speaks. It is the authority. It is the expert. So unapologetically, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at life in the tribe, your tribe, and what God's Word says about a variety of subjects. You saw them flash across the screen uh, just a few moments ago during, during the video. So we're going to be having a great time looking at God's Word. And one of the things I love about the Word of God is that it's living, it's real, it's alive, and also that, that, that speaks to the areas of our life where we need help. I'm glad it's not a book that's dead and it's, you know, it's like reading history. It's like it came off the press yesterday. So, so what is a tribe? What is a tribe? Well, you know, this book, the Bible says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And then, uh, and they shall be one flesh. They shall come together and be one. And that's the formation of how a tribe begins. And then, of course, later on, you know, God's word also said in, in Genesis that we're to be fruitful and multiply. And lo and behold, you know, we have children. So a man and a woman come together, and then, they're, then if they're blessed, and sometimes, you know, that's not God's will. We talked, Judy, you did a great job talking about mothering. I thought that was wonderful. Because, again, it's not always a biological thing of being a mother. A lot of great women who are not allowed to have children by God's will somehow, some way, you know, um, does a great job of, of mothering people. So, but that's how the tribe begins. And I think, was it Forrest Gump? I never really saw that movie, uh, Forrest Gump. But I think Forrest Gump said something like, you know, um, life is like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you get until you bite into it or something like that. Well, you figured out kids are like that? 
I mean, you really don't know what you're going to get until you have them, you know. And, and, you know, you, you have the first one, you know, and you're amazed. I remember when Rebecca was born, I jumped on top of the table. And I was in there at the head where I belonged. And I literally just jumped almost on top of Judy. I was just so excited about, you know, Rebecca being born. It was so cool. And, and then she, she had her, her first diaper change. And I realized instantly I was in deep weeds. I mean, you know, I called the nurse, and it had to be a boy nurse, wasn't it? A man nurse, male nurse? And, you know, come, boy nurse. I'm going to hear about that one. A man nurse, and, and he came in, and uh, I said, you know, she needs a diaper change. And he says, there's the diapers, Dad. You know, and I'm going, you know? And so I look over at Judy, and she's just giving birth. So she's going, <laughs> so anyway, so I undid the diaper and wow, I knew I was in over my head. I was like in deep weeds. And that's what I said, boy, we're going to have, I've got a lot of learning to do. And I'm so grateful God gave us a great mom and Judy to kind of carry the, the ball. And then, like I say, about a year later, I came home from work one day and Judy said, I'm, I'm pregnant. I went, or what? <laughs> you, know, you are what? It was tears of joy. Oh, you're what? I just don't believe it. You're pregnant again. How wonderful is that? And so, you know what? It happened. You know, you know Jennifer came along. You know, it was amazing. And, and, you know, one of my best experiences about Jennifer involves a diaper. You know, I, I wasn't, I was very insecure in being a father. And again, that's why God gave us mamas. Okay? And so, I was very insecure. And so, but finally she wanted to go to some women's event in the evening. And I agreed to keep the children it's kind of like the video. And, and I'm sitting there, and I've got Jennifer in this arm and holding Rebecca by her hand, and she's in the car back out of the driveway, and all of a sudden, explosion. Rova. I didn't know a lot about kids, but I knew that was not good. I knew that was not good. And so I'm waving at Judy going, and she goes, and off she drove. Off she drove. I knew I was in deep... Are y'all getting the picture? I was really in deep weeds. And I understand, you know, you know, being a tribal leader can be difficult. And being a tribal mom, well, like the video said, it's almost impossible. But they grew up and, and they got potty trained and things got a little better. It was good. And, and then in 1985, things got bad. And what happened was we were pastoring. I was going to college and pastoring. And one of our members named Chuck Johnson went to Liberia. And he came back and he brought us this. And he said, Dwayne, this is a souvenir from Liberia. I said, oh, that's really cool, you know. And he said, it's made by lepers. You know, this is how they make money. They make these little things and that's how they make their money. I said, that is so cool. And then he said these words. And the number of links indicates the number of children you're going to have. Uh, no, <laughs> you don't understand, Chuck. I'm a tour. I have survived the, the potty training phase. We're out of that. Life is getting better. These kids can walk. They're learning to talk. I don't think so. 1989. 1989, Sarah came. And guess what? She came unpotty trained. We started all over again. But here's the amazing part. I know we're running late. This is too long of an introduction, but I just couldn't resist it. You know what the amazing thing is? And I mean this. I mean this. In fact, I wrote this today. You don't know about I wrote this, but I wrote this today. I said, our children are jewels. Our children are jewels. And they're jewels because of their mom. 
I was basically being a preacher. But she wasn't. And she poured into their lives. And she proved true that, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 127 that children are a blessing from the Lord. And when, when we form this tribe and if God gifts us with children, then that's just a wonderful blessing that it is. And they, of course, we, the biggest thing, obviously, is the physical birth, it would seem, but there's something even bigger than that, and that's the second birth. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I will do my very best to keep this moving because I know y'all got plans this afternoon. But this is probably the most important thing that you're going to hear today. The fact that the Bible teaches that each one of us, moms and dads and all the children and moms and dads and all the children and moms and dads and all the children, all of us need to be born again. Our scripture, of course, if you know anything about the Bible, comes from John chapter 3. It's probably, I know it contains the most well-known scripture that there is in the world from the Bible. And it's a great, great story. So in John chapter 3 and verse number 1 and 2, we kind of get a setup about where this story begins. It says something like this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night... And said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And there's like a ton of truth in this. Something you need to know is, first off, that this guy came from the Pharisees. And I'll just say this. These guys were religious experts. You know, every once in a while, we preachers hear this phrase, you know, I'm a normal Christian, but you're supposed to be a professional, implying that we're perfect. Boy, believe me, preachers are not perfect. And so these guys, though, were professional religious people. And, and they knew the law backwards and forward and even invented laws. If, if there were enough laws in the religious world, they would make new ones. Like somewhere, some rabbi decided that you could walk more than a thousand steps on a Sabbath day, on a Saturday. God didn't say it, but guess what? As a Jew, if you walked a thousand and one steps, woohoo, you were in deep weeds. I remember we went to Israel in 1997, and we're going to eat, and the restaurant's on the third floor. So we walk into the lobby of the restaurant or the, the hotel, and we hit the button. Nope, we didn't, because it was the Sabbath. And so instead, you got it, and the, the elevator was pre-programmed to go to the third floor to the restaurant, because if you mashed the button, it was work. But then Jane and I asked the question, who's cooking the food? You know, who's cooking the food? Just craziness. Crazy. And that's what religion will do if you're not careful. It'll drive you crazy with rule after rule after rule after rule. Well, these guys were professionals. And this guy, Nicodemus, we learned from, from him too because, you know, you hear in society today, well, you know, religion's for weaklings or religious is for, 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 for no people, you know, no count people. We know Nicodemus was rich. He was educated. He was a a great man of influence. The Bible says he's a ruler of the Jews. So he had power. He had influence. He had all these things. So Nicodemus had all the things that we sometimes crave. Wealth, power, influence. But he realized something was missing. So he goes to see this young rabbi. And it's so interesting because the Bible says he came to him at night. Oh, man, have we preachers had a good time with that? Well, obviously, Nicodemus was afraid. He wasn't afraid because later on, he stands up for Christ. You know, why did he go at night? Well, was it fear? I guess it could have been fear. Could have been common sense. I mean, everywhere Jesus went, he was flocked with people. And if you're wanting a private session, you probably had to do it when most people are at home. 
for goodness sake, how many of y'all just don't really want to go to Walmart? You have, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not alone. I found out if you go to Walmart about midnight or 1 o'clock, it's pretty empty. So just do your shopping then. And possibly, Nicodemus said, I don't want a big crowd around because I really want his attention. I'll go late at night. And it's a cultural thing. Gee, we've been to Africa. You, you're ready to go to bed. You know, we went to this great place in the Dominican Republic. And we're used to eating supper at 4.30, somewhere around there, 5 o'clock. This restaurant's open until 10 o'clock at night every night. And we're sitting there. Well, actually, it was 9 o'clock. We never made 10. You know, we're sitting there at 9 o'clock, and, and people are going. I said, Judy, look at these crazy people. They're going to eat supper at 9 o'clock. It's a cultural thing. Their day doesn't end at sundown. It's just getting started good. And so whatever the reason, he comes to Jesus at night and says to him, Rabbi. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's important because Nicodemus is a man of importance. He is well-educated, power, influence. And who is Jesus? A common carpenter. A common carpenter. And this well-educated man steps up to this common carpenter and calls him rabbi or teacher. You want something I love about this? It proves that this powerful, rich man became a learner. And I've discovered this. The best thing we can do as Christ followers... The best thing we can do as we journey toward God is that we always remain a learner. When we think we know it all, we stop learning. It's a dangerous thing. So he goes and says, hey, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. That's really cool because he really didn't understand what was going on with Jesus. The, the word know there, you could say this. He knew without knowing. He knew without knowing. Here's what he knew. He knew this common carpenter was different than anybody else he'd ever met. And the reason why is because no one can perform these signs you do unless God was with him. They couldn't figure it out. I mean, they could go down and say, all right, there's Mary and there's Joseph. There was a rumor about a Christmas morning thing, but we're not sure about that. But there's Mary and there's Joseph. He was raised in Nazareth, and boy, that's the wrong side of town. And he could make tables and make chairs. And yet now, at age 30, he pops on the scene and he can heal people. He can raise people from the dead. He can do all these incredible miracles. So they didn't know what to do with Jesus. One side says, common carpenter. And the other says, it got to be something. And he says, we know but they didn't really understand. That's like us. Well, I, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I don't know really what he is or who he is. But yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's kind of where Nicodemus was. So Jesus throws him a curveball. And by the way, I was told this morning that the Cubs are 23 and 8. Is this right? Is this the right universe? Hello? Maybe it's one of those reverse universes. Anyway, and so, so Jesus throws him a curveball in verse 3 and says, Jesus replied, I assure you, Nicodemus... Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And and, ladies, do you know the look that your husband gives you when you say, I want to talk about my emotions? And he goes, you know, you remember, have you ever seen a dog do that? When you say, Zozo, he goes, you know, it's that. I just have to believe that when, when Jesus said this, Nicodemus probably had a very quizzical look on his face. You know, we're a te- you know, we believe you're a teacher who came from God because you do all these wonderful things. And Jesus says, well, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And this is just so rich in verbiage, you know, where he says born again. You know, I always knew that part. It meant to be born from above. I got that part. It meant, in other words, you're born 
physically, okay? You're born fleshly, but you need something else. You need to be born from above, spiritually. I got that part. But then one of my commentaries, the Holman commentary, said this in the Greek, it means to be torn from top to bottom. And they said this, it's like a garment that's torn from top to bottom. Now, if you know a little bit of theology, you know when Jesus was on the cross, and he, you know, he's bleeding uh, for the world, and he says what? It is finished. And the Bible says the earthquake, and there's this huge veil in the temple, okay? And it was torn from top to bottom. And the significance is this. This is why it's so important. That veil, some say it was six inches thick, and about 15, 20 feet tall. And the significance was it separated the, everybody else, the holies, from the holy of holies. The very presence of God. And only the high priest could go in there once a year. And in fact, they would tie a cord around his ankle so that when he went in there, if things went south and God killed him, they could drag him out. That's true. That's true. So this was the presence of God. And there was this huge barrier that separated people from God. And the Bible says when Jesus died on a Roman cross like this, and he cried out, it's finished, meaning the price was paid, meaning our salvation was paid for, meaning that that any common man could come into full relationship with God, when he cried out, it is finished, from the top to the bottom, this curtain was tore open. The barrier was removed. And that's what the cross is all about. The barrier is not a curtain in our case, but it's our sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every person. None of us are righteous. None of us live right. No, not one. And when Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for every person to have that barrier removed and come in full relationship with the creator universe, the creator of the universe, God Almighty. So he says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. If you don't, you can't see the kingdom of God. And again, Nicodemus gave him that puppy love. What? How can anyone be born when he is old? Well, Nicodemus asked him and said, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And you almost got a sense of humor in that because, you know, he's going, this just isn't possible. I don't know what you mean, but I'm sure you don't mean that. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you need to understand this. Now, there are several possibilities with what born of water means. Some people think it means baptism. It can't mean that because water does nothing for us. It's an act of obedience, but it doesn't wash away our sin. I'm going to go with what a lot of people think, and that is we are born in a sack of water. So he's referring to physical birth. He says, unless someone is born physically and, and, and born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Being born physically is not enough. And that's what we do. You know, we're born physically and we say, now how am I going to reach God? Well, I'm going to reach God by being good. I'm going to reach God by going to church. I'm going to reach God by giving money. I'm going to reach God by being baptized, maybe being religious. I'm going to reach God these ways. And none of those ways work. Jesus said you need something far above yourself. You need the activity of God. You need to be born again if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. Because he says in verse 6, he just explains it. Whatever's born of the flesh is flesh. Your parents got together and you were born physically. And then he says this, and whatever's born of the spirit is spirit. 
The second birth doesn't involve your parents. It doesn't involve you. It involves God. It involves God. It involves what God did for us. So the first time, it's our parents. But the second time, it's got to be all God. It can't be religion. It can't be our performance. It can't be us trying to be good. It has got to be all God. And then he says this. Don't be amazed that I told you you must be born again. Now, this is so cool. He looks at Nicodemus in verse 7. Don't be amazed that I told you. And like I was speaking to Brent. I told you that you must be born again. The second you, Y-O-U, is plural in the Greek. Now, we would say this. I'm speaking to Brent. I'd say, I'm telling you, Brent, that you, you-ins, you-ins need to be born again. Jesus wasn't just telling Nicodemus, a religious man. He was telling the entire world that if you want to go to heaven, you got to have a second birth. You must be born again. Ewans must be born again. Now, for time, obviously, we're going to skip down to verse number 14. Okay? Now, in between there is a chunk of theology and some things. Later on in the afternoon when you got some time, definitely read those verses. They're very good. But for our limited time today, we're going to skip down to verse 14 and answer the question, Okay, Dwayne, you said I've been born physically. I need to be born spiritually. How does that happen? Well... Jesus starts in verse 14, throws another curveball to us, not to Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And someone in this room's going, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about Jesus, and now you throw Moses in the mix. What happened? Moses is, you know, Charleston Heston, he's the Old Testament guy. Well, there's a story in the Bible that's so important, and explains this. The children of Israel... You know, were set free from, from Egypt, and they were in the desert, and they were hungry, and they were hot, and they were thirsty, and God was providing food every single day, and they were tired of the food. We are ready for something different. And they complained against God, and they complained against the preacher. Just saying. So, so God gets mad. Well, he doesn't get mad, but he does it a little discipline their way. So the Bible says that God sent fiery serpents amongst the people. And if they bit the person, you were out of here. You were dead. Well, people said, this isn't going right. Yeah, we may be hungry and thirsty, but we're dying here. So they go back to Moses and said, hey, Moses, would you ask God to do away with the snakes? Moses said, just a minute. He's over to God and says, okay, God, the people are sorry. Uh, We need a solution here. And God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a brass snake. Put it on a pole and hold it up. And whoever looks at that snake and believes will be healed. And Jesus says, just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And sure enough, as the people believed God, they said it would make no sense to look at a brass pole, but they believed God, they looked at the brass pole, and they were healed. That's what this is all about. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was nailed to a Roman cross. But murder, he wasn't a martyr, it was intentional. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ bled and died on this cross. And the Bible says they put him in a grave, and the Bible says on the third day, he resurrected, he came back to life again. And here's what we know. The Bible says that God's word says that if we will look to this, not this, but the man who hung on this, 
and believe that He died for our sins and believe that if we believe who He is and that He will forgive our sins and turn from our sins, He will forgive us. So basically it's like this. If we're willing to come to a point when we admit to God we're sinners, we have sinned against God, and willing to turn away from that sin to follow Jesus Christ, believing what Jesus did, we can have a relationship with God. That's what all that verse means. As Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes, everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. Do you see it? Not everyone who does. Not everyone who obeys. Not everyone who gives. Not everyone who can make a better start, a fresh start. No. Whoever believes will have eternal life. Here it is. For God. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son. He gave. He gave gave Jesus to the world. He strapped on a human body in that first Christmas morning that we celebrate in our culture in December. You know, he, He gave His Son to the world to go through life, to live a sinless life. But He also gave His Son to that. How many of you would willfully send a child into a very dangerous situation? How many of you would send your child into a situation where you knew they were going to die? I don't care if you want to send them back to Walmart or not. You wouldn't do it. But you know what God did? God sent His Son into a situation where He knew, where it was planned, where it was planned, He would die. That's how much He loves you. He was willing to give His only Son to a Roman cross because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And He's willing to give His Son so that we might live. So that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone. I said this not too long ago, but bear saying again, because you may need to hear this. You know, you've heard your college professor or you've heard some newscaster or some celebrity or some sports guy that you admire going, that Christianity is so stinking narrow. Jesus or nothing. There's got to be another way. The cross is not narrow. The cross is wide open. Yes, Jesus is the only way. But then he goes, you can, you can, you can, you can. You all can. Everyone can be saved. And if we had time, I was going to bring that little baby up. The littlest baby you can imagine here. There's one just a few months old back in the back. And have that little baby here. And say that, that God looks at that little baby and can look in the future and see all its failures, all its flaws, and all its sins and say, yep, that one too. And God could bring up, we could bring up the eldest man who's still breathing or the eldest woman and bring him up on stage. And, and knowing that in their past are all these sins and failures and shortcomings, and God would still say, yep, him too. I say that to say this. No matter what your past looks like, his grace is sufficient. No matter what your past looks like, his grace is sufficient. And mom and dad... Not a thing you can do, but the greatest thing you can do is make your home a Jesus-rich culture. So your children will grow up and understand what Jesus did for them and experience the second birth. I know it's incredible they were born the first time, but it's so incredible, it's so important that they be born the second time. 
Because eternity is in the balance. That whosoever believes, believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is, this is why it happens. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world, they might condemn the world. See, everybody thinks God is this, this condemning God. Well, there's, there's going to be a place for judgment in the future. I get that. But, but it, this is not the subject. God didn't send Jesus that the world might be condemned. And the one who could condemn the world, Jesus, did not. Instead, he died for it. Jesus, God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The world might be rescued through him. Wow. I don't know about you, but can you even fathom a God who loves you that much? I mean, come on. Come on. Isn't it us who we mess up and we're waiting for the lightning bolt? Isn't it us who say, there's no way Jesus loves me. I've got a record this long. Some of the words says, God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes. Anyone who believes. Not who gives. Not who joins. Not who obeys the rules. Not who's religious. Anyone who believes. And this is not a preacher story. Uh, I, I wish I could remember the name, but I can't. But I was, when I was studying, there was a missionary in one of our Pacific Island cultures. And he was translating the word into this culture. And he never could find a way to translate the word believe. And one day he went out and explored the island, evangelizing, came back and he was very tired. And his translator was with him. And the missionary sat down in this chair, just, I won't drag it up, just literally collapsed in a chair like that. And the translator said this, It is good that you can stretch out and rest your body. And that's when he saw it. He translated the word believe to stretch out and rest. Stretch out and rest. Whoever believes, whoever will stretch out and rest in the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus died that we didn't have to die. That he was buried. And on the third day, to prove once and for all who he was, he arose from the dead. And whoever believes in him can have forgiveness of sin. Whoever believes in him might be saved. And then verse 18. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe in him is already condemned. Two people. Two types of folks. Two types of folks. Those who believe in the name of Jesus and who are not condemned. Those who do not believe in Jesus and are condemned already. That's it. It's not about Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, black, white, green, yellow, rich or poor, American or European. Uh Uh-uh. It all boils down to this. Those who believe the Word of God and what Jesus did on the cross and put their faith and trust in Jesus, who stretch out and rest, are not condemned. And those who choose not to do that are condemned already. Why? Why? Well, because they're bad people. I mean, come on. Didn't you want to knock on somebody's door and say, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell because you're bad. Church people are good, and those who don't go to church are bad. Really? And what Reader's Digest did you get that out of? Last time I checked, heaven isn't for good for good people. 
It's for forgiven people. And hell is for one type of people, and it's those who reject Jesus Christ. And how bad they are. The Bible says none are righteous. No, not one. No. It says because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. That's it. God loved us so much. Even though we messed up incredibly, even though we're, we're sinners, we're born sinners, all of that, he made a way. And the way is not the Baptist church. It's not any church. It's the cross. It's His amazing grace. For by grace, Paul said, you have been saved. Through faith, through believing, through stretching out and resting. And that not yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And the bottom line is this. We are so glad you're here. Um, maybe you're here because mom's going you know, take you out to lunch or you're going to take mom out to lunch. We're just incredibly glad you're here to hear the story because this is the greatest story ever, that God loves you, that Jesus Christ died for you. And if you'll put your faith, if you'll stretch out and rest in that wonderful truth, turning from your sin to follow Jesus, then you can have forgiveness of sins. That's a great story. It's not what you hear a lot in churches these days, unfortunately. You almost hear like a works thing. You know, if you perform good enough, like you're a puppet on the string, perform good enough that God somehow will show favor. You can't get God's favor that way. You can't get God's favor. It's already been given to you if you accept it by His death and through the grace of God. So we always offer a time of invitation at the end, and it's what we like to do today. You know, my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And uh, here's the deal. We do this because... We feel like we're making the best offer ever. If I was at Walmart and I said, I've got $10,000 gift cards, come and get them, you would not think that's strange at all, would you? I mean, you would rush to get that. we got something better than a $1,000 gift card, and that's Jesus Christ. And so we, we, we got some information we could share with you. We'd be glad to try to answer your questions about knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. And Brenda, be down front. we got some friends who will counsel with you. But here's what I know. That's pretty hard, isn't it? Not that you shouldn't be hard. I'm not saying that. But here's the deal. You don't have to do it here. I wouldn't wait. But I'll be at the back door. Brent and Dave and I will be running around. A lot of these folks know Jesus. Say, hey, tell me about this Jesus thing. I mean, did Jesus really die on a cross for me? And we would love to share with you God's incredible, great love and how it's changed us. Now, we figured something out. I bet you have too. It didn't make us perfect, but it made us forgiven. It made us forgiven. So we would love for you to experience that. We really, really would. So would you bow your heads? I'd like to say a word of prayer for us. This is our decision time. We'd love for you to come, ask questions. Again, if we can help you later, we would love to do that also. God, thank you for this privilege of sharing this wonderful, incredible truth. Thank you, God, that you demanded that we be born again. And then you gave us the way through Jesus to be born again. Holy Spirit, I don't believe in accidents. I think every person here is by a divine appointment of yours. And so we pray as your Holy Spirit speaks to hearts, that you draw folks to you. Draw people to you. May they experience your wonderful love, forgiveness, and grace. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.